I feel that's a challenge with a lot of medical devices is how do we actually get past the, the perception of treatment and it being a medical thing towards more of a consumer acceptable product. Welcome to the second renaissance where we decode the rebirth of human creativity in a technology driven world. In this second season, we explore how sustainability is elevating our human consciousness and catalyzing us to create within constraints. We decipher why now is the biggest entrepreneurial opportunity since the dawn of industrialization and what leaders can do to harness these winds of change. I'm Anders Sulman-Nilsson, global futurist, impact champion and father and your host for the second renaissance. Today on the second renaissance, I have a triangulating conversation with two experts and beloved clients from ResMed on the sustainable future of medical devices. We discuss the circular economy, green tech, sustainable product design, digital ecosystems of health, human-centric design, and why sleep is a critical health driver. I am joined here in the Think Studio by Jamie Weibay, Director for Research and Technology, and Charles Hartson, the Senior Director of Patient Interface Product Development at ResMed. Jamie describes himself as having a love affair with the intersection of technology and innovation and the aha moment when things come together in new ways. And Charles thrives in an intersecting intersection of people, strategy and product. Like their peers at ResMed, every day they come to work with a focus on building and supporting technology that helps people live healthier, happier lives. It began over 30 years ago with the invention of a machine that helped people breathe easier and sleep better. And it continues today with digital health solutions that help keep people out of hospital. As a father of a one and a five-year-old, the topic of good sleep is really close to my heart. But of course, as you hear in this conversation, ResMed's smart and sustainable medical devices literally help humans keep the lights on through smart technology. Whether you are aware of the debilitating impacts of sleep apnea or just have an interest in sustainable medical technologies, this conversation is bound not to put you to sleep. Excuse the pun and on with the show. Welcome to the second renaissance, Jamie and Charles. Jamie, Charles, our friends from ResMed, welcome to the second renaissance. Thanks for having us. That was like beautifully we synchronized. Do this, we do this a bit. Like. I'm like, are you going? It's going to be finishing each other's sentences and <laughs> all the rest. Yeah. <laughs> so we're going to talk sustainability, research and development, research and tech, which is really your your cup of tea here. Uh, Jamie, Charles, you're like the designer extraordinaire. At uh, one of our favorite clients, ResMed, you guys are the masters of fixing everyone's sleep, but it's a little bit more nuanced than that. Do you want to just? kind of give us the origin story of what ResMed is all about um, and the types of medical uh, issues and and sleep that you guys help the world with. Take us away, Jamie. Yeah, sure. So um, we'll start top level. ResMed has been around for a little while, so over 30 years now. Um, always been a sleep company, always, always focused on sleep, um, predominantly around the sleep apnea space. That's really kind of how things started out. And um, but moved into respiratory care as well, as well as things like asthma, COPD. So really, you know, really around how people breathe. Um, and our mission is, is to help people breathe better, live better lives, 
um, and it's like it's a great mission and there's uh, it, it's very challenging uh, we make a lot of products to help with that and the the runway for improving on that on that mission is is very long but we are um, we're desperate to accelerate and make forever better products to serve our serve our patients really so it's all about sleep and helping people sleep yeah I mean we hear a lot about sleep not just from a from a health perspective but also from a from a mental health perspective as well and i know as a as a parent of a of a 10 month old and a five-year-old you know sleep is something i've been obsessing with i'm privileged in the sense that i I don't need to use your your products at at the moment but i know many people who do require them so can you guys just give us a little bit of the story of why sleep is so important and certainly also people with respiratory issues the kind of challenges that they might have not everyone might be familiar with what sleep apnea is for example so love your your comments on those things yeah the best way to describe sleep apnea is sleep suffocation so essentially stopping breathing in the middle of the night and that's never never fun right but it's a small pe- piece of the broader health sleep health picture right and i think there's an immense opportunity to to really be thinking greater about sleep than just the sleep apnea piece itself and look, I've got a nine-month-old myself as well, so I'm very in tune with my sleep or lack thereof at the moment. And I think that first the awareness of the importance of it is something we need to, to continue to do to ultimately be able to get to those patients and those um, people who are struggling with the more uh, with with uh, diseases that they're more severe in, like sleep apnea itself. Mm-hmm. And it sounds quite niche, right, that you, that you would stop breathing when you're asleep. But the numbers are sort of a billion people worldwide, so almost sort of like one in eight people um, actually suffer from the condition. So it, it's far more prevalent than I, than, than I think you, you, you know, one would realise when you hear about the notion that you would stop breathing you know, during the night. So mm. I was just um, not so much doom scrolling on Instagram the other day, but I was certainly scrolling on Instagram. And, you know, Obviously, uh, obviously, some algorithm knows that I, you know, I'm starting to flirt with the idea as, as, a, as, a, as a young dad or as an old dad, who knows, flirt with the idea of exercise again and, 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 and fighting this dad bod of mine, right? So, I'm, you know, tuned into a few personal trainers who, you know, biohacking and all the rest. And they're like, oh, you know, it'd be really good. You know, like one of the best ways for you to lose a bit of weight is to get seven to eight hours of sleep a night. So I'm going, okay, well, how is that compatible with, with a 10-month-old and, and a five-year-old who wake up all through the night? So tell us, like, sleep deprivation or sleep suffocation, what, what, are, what are some of the sort of health downsides of, of not getting enough sleep? Well, how does it affect the body, the mind, all the rest? Yeah, yeah look, we know that it, without a lack of sleep, it leads to a whole heap of different comorbidities, right, from diabetes to hypertension, um, and I think we're only actually at the moment finding the, the true long-term health outcomes of not sleeping properly. It's a really interesting time at the moment, right? There's this plethora of data available. And with that, I think we're becoming a lot more aware of our actual sleep health. And I think there's the potential to really use that to be able to tailor the solutions that are best for us at the moment. Um, I think that... Did you have anything yeah, to say? Like, and as you said, it is a challenge, right? But, um, but, and as Charles said, we're, we're scratching the surface. I, th- I think sleep is, is quite new in the world of, of health, but you know, an awful lot of uh, research going on into that space. And re- you know, the more we dig into it, uh, not just ResMed, of course, you know, globally, the more we dig into the, the effects of not getting enough sleep, it just the linkages 
uh, become quite extraordinary in terms of the impact that it can have on your life and mental health as well as physical health and how they're kind of so intertwined. So mm. it's... Um, yeah, such an important part of part of life is, is getting great sleep. Yeah. Well, thank you for your contributions for making health better. You, you've touched uh, as a, I guess, a medical technology or med tech company. You've sat at that sort of intersection of digital and, and, and medical for a long period of time. Tell us, I mean, how many people have you touched, have you helped with uh, being able to not suffocate every night, but actually have a, have a decent night's rest? Mm. Our target by 2025 is to get to 250 million people across all of our solutions, and that's from our sleep hardware right through to some of our more digital and connected solutions. And we're just scratching the surface on that journey. When it comes to the devices themselves, our, our original target was 20 million people by 2020, and we know that we're getting to the scale now of of impact and with that it allows us to kind of get all these connected data points and really scale it even further so i think that shift that you alluded to from just hardware to digital has been a, a game changer for resmed because it actually allows us to to take these learnings and apply them to the population as a whole yeah yeah and we're on this mission like the as charles said when, when we talk about we're just getting started you know if you look at the numbers we spoke about the one billion people suffering with some sort of sleep health issue Oh, sorry, no, um, with, with obstructive sleep apnea. Um, half of those have actually got moderate to severe sleep apnea. So that's, you know, 450 million people roughly have moderate to severe. That, that, that's, that's pretty bad. And we're only touching a small proportion of those. And there's this, you know, I, I feel like there's this inflection point where we will, we will move our solutions from one that, that satisfy. You know, we, I feel like we're still quite apologetic about, about the solution. We, 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 we don't kind of... You know, because it's hard to tolerate. You know, you, you, at the moment, the solution is a mask, a tube, and a flow generator, and you, you provide pressurized air, and it's great for your health. But the sort of the, the stigma, the barriers to actually a, a, adopting the therapy are still quite high. So that's what we, you know, when we say there's uh, so much runway and we're just scratching the surface, I feel like there's this inflection point where, you know, the more we can accelerate um, the desirability of our solutions, I feel we will, we will hit this tipping point where all of a sudden, um, my vision is that we'll reach a point where people will say, can you believe that we didn't use that ResMed product? Mm -hmm. Because look at how amazing my sleep is. It's even better than when I didn't have sleep apnea and I just kind of slept, slept naturally. So that, I just feel like there's, this, there's that runway and we're, you know, we're desperate to kind of accelerate that to a point where we have these solutions that are so desirable that people can't imagine going back to that, that state they're in before where they didn't use a solution to help with sleep. Sleep's such an intimate thing, right? And inviting, having someone invite you into their bedroom, I think, is a really difficult thing to, to hit. And I see that as our mission, right? How do we actually get people driving to, to have wear our solutions during the night? And that's not easy. Who wants to be treated for a medical condition? And how do we humanize it way more? That's mm. our challenge I mean, fascinating and, and also fascinating in terms of, you know, diffusion of technologies across society, um, wearable technologies or otherwise. I, I think of a meeting I had with one of our clients at Specsavers in Melbourne just the other week. And, and at Specsavers, of course, they do they do glasses, right? Uh, Specs, uh, which is one of the original medical technologies. But um, one of their evolutions and innovations in the last sort of five, six years has been their venture into into hearable technology as well. When it comes to wearable technology like glasses, that 
that's been something that's fairly acceptable. You know, it's become an aesthetic thing. It's become a design thing. You know, it's something we all wear. But when it comes to hearables and, and hearing aids, it's still got a little bit of a stigma attached to it. So, my mum is an example. She's starting to lose a little bit of her hearing. It was very noticeable when I was in Europe uh, just a couple of months ago and spent time with mum. She wears specs, no worries, and she buys a new pair every year because, you know, she likes, you know, mixing it up a little bit and all the rest. But she refuses to have this appointment with someone from Specsavers or otherwise to, to check on her hearing because that for her sort of signifies her coming of age in a significant way, even though they are, you know, they don't protrude as much anymore they're very you know they're close to being invisible um, I would say and uh, at the same time she she doesn't want to have that appointment and so sometimes we we have this sort of stigma attached to certain medical devices or medical technology and but then I thought I mean mum you know everyone is is wearing um, airpods or similar bluetooth devices in their ears and they're sort of even a you know, the Apple ones are even a type of implantable that don't have the stigma. In fact, they're a little bit of a, you know, desirable fashion object and they're very functional. So I was just curious, I mean, given those sort of evolutions, whether you can see a future where, you know, the idea of or the design of your products are such that, you know, it becomes a, a non-issue. I think that's exactly the challenge that we need to, that we are on the pursuit of at the moment, right? And you allude to hearing aids and, and, and the glasses as well. Mm. 70 years ago, glasses were a sign of weakness. And look how that perception has changed over this time. Your comment on the hearing aids is a really interesting one. My sister was actually born deaf and she has two cochlear implants now. And I've seen the journey that they've been on through miniaturization, but also in terms of this kind of desirable um, delight sensation too. And I feel that's a challenge with a lot of medical devices is how do we actually get past the, the perception of treatment and it being a medical thing towards more of a consumer acceptable product and that's certainly the challenge with what we we have at the mm. moment in CPAP. Yeah and it reminds me I was into a podcast recently well, not as good as this one um, but a podcast recently where um, they were talking about um, it was it was about marketing and it was about um, sales numbers and the guy was using the example of uh, electric cars and he said you know we shouldn't be measuring how many electric cars we sell you should actually be measuring how many people bought an electric car and then went back to a petrol car. So this notion that, so then you know where you are on the S-curve, you know that, you know, you know, it's huge. And I thought that's so applicable to what we do. So, in, you know, what we should be striving for is a state where once you have used a resume product, and I'm thinking back more into the future, you would never imagine going back to the previous state. Mm-hmm. You would love this so much. It would have so much value to you. It would bring you so much joy. It would enhance your life so much that the notion of taking a step back to where you were before is unimaginable. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, you know, that really just resonated with me when I, when I heard that comment. I said, that's so true for what we do at ResMed. And just a really nice sort of um, analogy to how we, how we can think about uh, the value that we bring and, and why we do what we do. Yeah. The, the mentality I like there is how do you take it beyond the human state, right? How do you make it better yeah. than what we have naturally? I think that's the the, cha- the opportunity for many medical devices is yeah. beyond human. Yeah. yeah. But also, I guess there's also accessibility and cost. I mean, you've 
alluded to Cochlear, for example, ResMed. I love the fact that these are both Australian companies uh, originally, right? Um, although I think you're headquartered in San Diego these days yeah. with a very yeah. strong presence here out of, out of Australia still. But um, when it comes to innovations and products and, 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 and helping, uh, you know, a medical technology be accessible, I think of the, the, the Swedish company Hestens, which um, I know we've spoken about before, which is, of course, a, you know, a very upmarket bed maker. Uh, if you wanted to buy a bed for 40,000 euro or, or, or sleep on similar sheets and, and, and have the same sort of vibe at nighttime as Drake, you know, you could spend up to 400,000 euro sleeping on these amazing beds. And they've been manufacturing these since 1825. So the product is amazing. It's custom tailored for every individual. And the tagline is that you don't know sleep until you've slept in a Heston's bed. So, amazing mattresses, right? Now, not everyone's going to afford a 40,000 euro or 400,000 euro uh, Heston's bed, but they are now launching the sort of digital ecosystem and the digital nutrition around sleep. So there's the there's the hypnosis app, for example. There's the the parts of the app that you know have various Finnish composers who apparently have designed music to help you get into the sleep state. And so we're talking about sleep a lot more, but they're also helping make it accessible. So even you know in the olden days of the iPhone, you know that the iPod was still like an entry gateway into the Apple ecosystem and maybe five, 10 years down the track, a, you know, a Gen Y, a millennial, a Gen Z could then afford, you know, the big piece of equipment, so to speak. Do you, do you see that that's something that's happening in, in your space as people become more attuned to the importance of the technology? Is there is there an entryway into, into, into your ecosystem that people yeah. tap into yeah i think so and it, like it's a really interesting analogy right and as as technology moves forward i often you know i often reflect and realize the importance of time and the timing of whether it's technology or whether it's um kind of psychological readiness or business readiness or cost right simple things but when these things start to overlap you start to un- uncover kind of new opportunity um and i, I think you make a really good point I, I i do think as we are seeing this kind of increased acceleration into wearables into you know things like earables right you know mm. everything's an ables right all of a sudden it kind of opens up opportunity for us to to influence how people are sleeping to improve how people are sleeping you know not just breathing right the breathing is so important to sleep and breathing is so important to what we do you know beyond sleep right into copd and asthma as we discussed before but yeah certainly all of a sudden you've got access to different senses different mm. Um, ways in almost to the to how you can augment sleep and how you can improve someone's sleep and well-being. So yeah, it's it's mm. a fascinating space. So in this world of digital nutrition, we've got people popularizing notions of, of breathing and breath work, like the Iceman Wim Hof, for example, who's of course popularized this notion that's been around for you know thousands of years and the importance of breath for for mental, physical, physical health. How do you see our awareness with digital nutrition? changing as as just this notion of sleep contributing for example to un sdg i believe it's number four on well-being how are people sort of taking sleep into their own hands more broadly beyond the types of medical technologies that you're seeing yeah the the interesting thing with sleep is the outcome is actually during the day right around how you live your life and how you present yourself and i think a lot of the well-being pieces how do we help people connect the fact that 
their sleep is so critical to the outcomes during the day. And you would have seen a campaign that we're in Australia and New Zealand at the moment that ResMed's put forward around awaken your best, right? We're trying to talk around the the outcome mm. of sleep itself rather than being you got eight hours, you're, you're in a good place. And I feel that's probably the one of the greatest challenges here is how do we actually people uh, see the combination of all these activities for their sleep wellness, for their, their more general well-being wellness, um, actually connecting to making how they live their lives, the impact they're having on others and the motivation that they have day in, day out. Yeah. And, and you know, you mentioned data. <clears throat> massive part of, of our business and massive part of our, of our strategy actually is around data because we can now measure that, right? We, we have opportunity to measure what's happening when you're asleep, to measure what's happening during the day. And that will only continue as we wear more and more wearables and more and more earables and whatever other, you know, earables mm. we, we, mm. you know, we, we attach to ourselves. And we can demonstrate that correlation. We can start to connect, you know, what's happening when you're asleep. And then what does that look like when you're um, awake? What, Im- what impact does that have? And then we can start to personalize and kind of tailor mm. that experience and tailor what we're doing because people are different you know they they you know different different makeup different mm-hmm. routines you know um and we and we can start to really use that data to personalize those experiences mm-hmm. so i think it's it's a it's a fascinating space and something that we will continue to see that value um as we continue to invest in understanding the data and capturing more data and um, and using it to, to benefit people, yeah. Yeah. We are thinking here just in terms of product innovation, you know, how do you make it, how do you make this technology be one that's accessible but also desirable for people? Uh, I, th- I feel like we're at this moment of awakening at the moment and, and certainly, you know, the focus of, of, of the second renaissance in this podcast this season is very much on this I- idea of sustainability. And I can un- understand and see the linkage between what you guys are doing and the lives you're impacting from an ESG perspective, certainly when it comes to the S in terms of social or, you know, as, as John Elkington, one of our guests would call it people, planet and profit um, or prosperity, depending on your, your view. So there is a massive contribution to the social aspect. And, and we've you know talked about that just from a, from a sleep deprivation perspective, right? I'm also curious, when, when you think about product and product innovations, you know, the circular economy, you know, just the electricity usage of of your devices at nighttime. Luckily, you're off peak when it comes to electricity bills. But I, I, I think of, you know, me plugging in our electric vehicle last night at, at night and I can set it so that even though I plugged it in at, you know, 7 p.m. when I, when I get home from work, for example, you know, the electricity doesn't actually start flowing up until midnight because I've set it to, to off-peak hours between midnight and, and, and 5 a.m., for example. You can't really do that with a human, right? Like, you know, you go to bed 10, maybe. Hopefully, you wake up at 6 or, you know. Like, how do you how do you overcome that challenge or what kind of innovations are you thinking about or have you been able to launch just to help people with their electricity consumption with, yeah. your, with your medical devices? Yeah, great, great question, Anders. And something I know we, we shared just when we were having a uh, coffee earlier was, you know, as, as you said, I, I kind of, you know, if, if I wake up in the morning and, and one of my kids has left the light on, I'm like, you got to be kidding me with all the electricity all night long. But that's what we mm. do. We ask our patients to... Um, turn on this device which consumes electricity and not just you know once in a blue moon when they, when you leave the light on but every single night right so we, we're investing an awful lot of time and energy and focus that goes into 
kind of waste generally, you know, waste when it comes to a material point of view and sustainability point of view, but also what are the technologies that we're investing in when it comes to power consumption? Because it's such a, an important aspect of sustainability, um, given that we're asking our patients to use this product every single night. And yeah, investing in venting technologies, new motor technologies, um, you know, clever valving technologies, and really focusing on how we are reducing that power consumption because it's going to become increasingly important. So many things going on in the world right now, right, which, which, is, which is contributing to that. Um, but from a social point of view, um, as we continue to scale, as we continue to treat more and more people, we've got this responsibility to make sure that we are also investing in uh, reducing that impact on our, on our environment, on our planet. Mm. I mean, I'll go to this in just a moment, Charles, but and I, think, I think it was Steve Jobs who said that technology should either be invisible or beautiful. And so certainly from a you know product design perspective, I think you guys have really evolved what your products look like. But then the, you know, the, then the other question is, it's not always just about you know the visible aspects of the user interface. Sometimes innovation is around process as well. So have you guys got any thoughts on just how how processes and the sort of the behind the scenes aspect can actually help drive sustainable innovation as well? Yeah, absolutely. We've been putting a heap of effort recently into actually understanding that where the makeup of the sustainability issues come into our products through the whole life cycle, right? And I think it forces us to look at the way we design our products slightly differently to what we've done in the past. And in fact, a lot of the processes that we select and design for are the contributors to the, the total environmental impact of the products themselves. So to me, we, I feel the greatest impact we can have is through designing new processes and considering them more holistically. And there's something in the scale there as well, right? When we're talking about a single device or a single product that a patient or a user are using each night, the impact's not that much. But when, as an organisation, you get past this tipping point, right, in terms of scale, and I feel we are there now, where you have millions of, t of patients on a device at any point in time, the small decisions you make particularly when it comes to which processes you select or um, the how your device works itself, has such an immense impact on the planet. Mm. And as a result, we're having to train our engineers, our designers, our scientists on those decisions because they stack up really quickly when at the mm. scale. Yeah. So what are some examples of that? Is that around just, you know, packages or, or how a box fits into, you know... Um, into the back of a ute or like what, what are the types of things in terms of process and design, how that scales? Can you give us some concrete yeah, stuff? Lot, I mean, lots, right. And we say, and process is quite a, an umbrella term and, and, and it goes through our whole supply chain, you know, manufacturing and logistics. It, it, it covers so many different things. But, you know, some of the things that we've done more recently and, you know, Charles spoke about scale, even the way that we design our Product. So when we think about something like a flow generator, which is the, the device that sits on the bedside table, <clears throat> which monitors your sleep and understands when it will provide the right pressure and flow in order to um, keep your airway open. So this is the box that sits on the bedside table. Making um, deliberate design changes or, or, or being deliberate about the, the shape, even, th even things like the height of the product, mean that instead of putting four of these um, products into a shipper I can put five okay plus one doesn't sound mm. like a lot but when you scale that several million times over all of a sudden the impact is, is huge mm. so I often say that 
process innovation is, is sort of the unsung hero of product development. And I always maintain that, you know, these, these aspirational visions that we come up with, you know, the, 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 whether it's, you know, starts as a sketch or an idea, you, it won't get off the drawing board unless you have the process innovation in place to make it a reality. So it, it's, you know, we, we mm. gravitate towards, you know, wow, look at this incredible looking product. You know, let's do that. Well, that's great, but you've got to invest in the process innovation, the manufacturing innovation. Otherwise, it stays on the drawing board, and it just it, it becomes this this nice kind of artifact on a on a drawing board. And we don't want that, right? We want to we want to translate that into products that have that meaningful impact on patients and also on on, on planet. Yeah, and I guess you you even come up with challenges like you know one, once you plug in this device, whether you're charging an EV at night or whether you're charging a human with with with, with oxygen, right? You go well. What's you know? What's your electricity mix, or where does it come from? Is it is it you know? Is it from a coal-fired power plant, or is it from renewables? I mean, there are all those things where I guess you guys have an impact and an ecosystem of impact as well. And I mean, we're seeing now um, authors and sustainability advisors like Saul Griffiths, for example. He just goes, you know, electrify everything in the home, in the office. That's the key. But he also talks about the importance of when a product that you previously use or that you might still be using is coming up to its usable, valuable end of life. So it's not like we should all run out and all change our cars for EVs today or change our gas stove to you know an induction oven straight away because of course that would create massive amounts of carbon emissions if we all switched over of you know at the same time, but this does need to happen over time so i'm just curious to see how you know are there ways in which you can influence or have been able to influence people's choices to make sure that when they're using your machines they're doing it in a way that's powering it renewably as well yeah i like what you spoke to there around a tiered approach to this and i feel that's the only way this is going to be successful in terms of the impact we want to have on the planet in the long run right and a couple of examples of that is we've actually broken our targets and our horizons from an environmental perspective uh, based on a more tiered approach to it where we're starting with that low-hanging fruit and the things we have a lot of, uh, of impact over, particularly when it comes to the other regulations that come into the medical device space as well. So we're starting with our packaging, as Jamie spoke to. We're starting with um, some of the pro- decisions surrounding the product and on the product. The next phase, though, is I think we need to be designing sustainability in from the start. And we've had the luxury, I think, in product design for a number of decades now where we could design products without actually thinking that much about the end of life. And Mm. that's really changed now where we actually need to be considering the holistic life life cycle. And you spoke to that kind of end life process before. And ultimately, designing for circularity is where we need to get to. But uh, the tiered approach to get there, I think, is the, the best way to have that impact and also educate not only ourselves and our people and our designers, but also our customers and our patients through that journey. Yeah, because it comes down to it. Like, you, you, I mean, you obviously want people to be using your product and other products that help them, you know, live a healthy life. But then also sometimes you have, you're facing that challenge of like, well, what's it going to cost me to, to, to run this thing, right? Um, I mean, I know there's, there's plenty of people who want to, you know, get off beef and, and meat and, and all the associated, you know, 
carbon emissions, for example, they might want to do it from a, from a health perspective or whatever the, the, the reasoning is. But then they're like, oh, we still need proteins to, to live a healthy lifestyle. And, you know, being vegan may or may not provide me with a challenge to achieve my protein targets every day. So then they're going, well, let's just eat fish. And then that's a scarce resource that ha- might have a huge environmental impact as well. So even sometimes when we're making those decisions to be super healthy on a sort of individual basis, what you know, what does that scale up to when we're looking at those choices i feel this is the greatest risk facing sustainability at the moment right and it it is the innovators dilemma which clayton christensen speaks to really well and the reason i love the concept is the notion that firms are when they're presented with these disruptive technologies there's never really a good choice that they can make and i feel sustainability is a disruptive technology right it's forcing us to think about our value chains differently and it causes conflict it's going to cause conflict in terms of cost and in terms of those value chains and what our customers expect and therefore, these big firms, the Nokia's, the Kodak's of the, the world, they actually default towards the more sustained innovations, the sustained technologies, the easy um, choices of technologies that fit into their current business models. Mm. And that's the biggest risk to me in terms of sustainability at the moment is it is a disruptive technology. It's going to cause conflict. And I see the role of product design and designers as managing that change as, as comfortably as possible for, for everyone involved. But it's not going to be easy. So let's just, um, I think there's some really important points there. So let's just decode them and, 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 and get them into different layers or different phases here. So, so certainly disruptive technologies. I'm going to get you to just uh, expand a little bit on Clayton Christensen's uh, thoughts on that. Um, but also just to, to decipher here as well, because what I heard you say here is that sustaining innovations which is you know you just tinker a little bit around the edges even though we're using the word sustaining it sort of you know sustains a, i guess an incremental path making some you know tinkering on the edges making something slightly better every year is that is that right and then you said sustainability as a concept is a disruptive technology i understand it but let's just get the clarity here on sustaining versus sustainability as a disruptive technologies. Lots of overlapping words, right? <laughs> no, no, it's good. It's good. <laughs> no, it's no, good. No. So, so sustained innovations, uh, you're right. They're incremental innovations. They're just building on the, the core technologies that are there today. And they're not about disruption, right? They're working within the current business models. Whereas disruptive technologies will cause conflict. They require new business models and new value chains typically. And I I think a great example of that is what the iPhone did to the established mobile phone market before it and um, the likes of of Nokia and the, the, the players in that market beforehand. They weren't willing to move on to these new business models when they were presented with these disruptive technologies. They were like, this is going to cause too much conflict. We're going to f- continue focusing on our core and our, our drive to create more usable, smaller, minimalist devices. Whereas this, these disruptive technologies really present the incumbent with poor usability, increased costs, um, and this conflict for the value chain itself. And I see sustainability being a disruptive technology. Mm. It's going to be more expensive to start. It's going to force us to think about our value chains differently, the supply chains that we set up, where we source our materials from, what we do with them at the end of life. But we need to be thinking not only about day one. It's about what, where it's heading in day three, day five, and the long-term impact on the planet. And I feel... When all these big firms jump on board this journey towards sustainability, the value again is going to come at scale. 
when we see this massive scale over time. Mm. And I think I was I was going to add as well that you know I love you know the innovators dilemma and and I often feel it's misunderstood in that the the disruption was an oh my god moment we never saw this coming but in fact it was there for everyone to see and everybody you know from the you know Nokia's and Kodak's of the world it was there in front of them they knew exactly what was coming same with Blockbuster it was not a surprise um, and I think that's often misunderstood that, that we that we think that that disruption was a, was a came out of the blue it was a surprise it was there for a long time right so I think that's one thing to to capture but also as Charles was was talking just reminded me of uh, something that Daryl Mann, who, who works out of the UK, mm. I think you know him, speaks about, which is solving the contradiction. And I think that's so applicable for the challenge that we face with sustainability, where we often we often come in with that notion that there's going to be this this compromise where it'll, it'll cost more. How do you solve that contradiction? Give me something that's sustainable and give it to me and uh, innovate so that it costs the same or less. Mm. Um, and I think it's where you blend that that you get some incredible opportunity to innovate and it's exciting right I, I feel like you know you mentioned you know what are we doing you know to play our part I feel like you know when I when I first kind of started wrapping my head around you know what's going on in the world and and how things are changing with with global warming I'll be honest I initially thought we're screwed this is not going to go well but I do think that you know, what, what, what's the phrase, mother of necessity? You know, invention or creation mm-hmm. is, is the mother of necessity. And I feel like we got ourselves into this mess, maybe not this generation, generations prior, mm. um, through no, no deliberate act. We got ourselves into this mess incrementally, little by little, um, individual by individual. We can get ourselves out of that mess mm. in the same way. We can take the same approach. We can, we can do what we... Um, can do our, ourselves and we can do what, what we can do in, our, in the companies and, and the way that we're working, the products that we're designing. So I, I, I um, have probably gone a little bit off track, but I think just to kind of... <laughs> oh, it's, it's, it's interesting. I mean, and, and, and some people say, yeah, necessity is the, the mother of invention and other people say invention is the right. mother of necessity. And, yeah, yeah. you know, and, and I do think, I mean, and there's, a, there's when, when you both talk about disruption and, and the sense that, you know, how, how, how do firms or how do individuals go bankrupt? And there's a saying that, you know, it's very, very gradual and on all of a sudden it's very sudden. Mm. And I think while people can see the sort of gradual implications of, you know, disruptive firms, fintechs, you know, movies and entertainment as a, as a service to, to your blockbuster point, for example, that uh, they just don't take heed or they're too invested in, in, in legacy systems, etc. So, I guess one example, we've talked about EVs, for example, uh, an example of kind of sustaining innovation versus disruptive innovation would be something like, you know, tinkering around the edges with an internal combustion engine, uh, you know, fuel efficiency may be driven either by the the automotive manufacturer or even by government saying, hey, you know, you have to meet, meet these fuel standards versus going, hey, we're going to replace the internal combustion engine and we're going to design something around a battery instead. And that's the disruption, right? Would that be fair to say in terms of yeah. concretizing the Clayton Christensen Yeah, uh, I think that's a concept. great example. Yeah. And I think what comes with that is new business models to actually be able to sell these batteries and you know the infrastructure you need to be able to charge these cars around around the world. 
And I, I feel that's the conflict that, and the contradiction, as Jamie said, that we need to start solving for is what do we actually need to be building around it? And Daryl, uh, sorry, I was going to say Daryl, man. Uh, <laughs> Clayton Christensen goes into this concept around, um, you know, there's multiple parts to this. There's the technological innovations. What's the technology, the battery in this case, but also what's the business model? And when you actually combine business models with technology, technological innovation you get the magic you get that disruptive innovation and i feel that's the thing that takes firms to the next phase of their generation have you got an example just to to concretize that idea of the technology and the business models kind of coming together and having an innovation intersection or marriage made in heaven yeah i think a great example is the iphone itself and sure there's the technology that everyone talks about there's the phone itself with a touch screen and the ability to access the internet on it that's the technology side and that was always going to sort itself out with enough resources and um, research put into it but it was the business model that created the success here the ability to get the telecom companies on board as well as well as uh, the the other value that they're trying to create on the de- on the device itself through apps, through connecting users with other companies, and when all of that came together, the true magic happened, and this disruptive innovation co- was created through the combination of the business model with the technology. And of course, the interesting thing about you know the iPhone is that it wasn't the first technology in the mp3 space either i mean they've been observing the space and in a sense been a bit of a fast follower in 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 that whole ecosystem i mean i remember getting the first iphone and i had to i think we called it jailbreak it uh in the initial model to actually make it useful in australia and it had this shadow app store because i couldn't actually get any of the proper official apps until i jailbroke the phone in australia i'm sorry apple this is just what we had to do back in like 07 08 or whenever it was launched i remember remember. yeah i'm not the only one that's guilty as charged here potentially but i mean it's 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 fascinating how that sort of shadow it then also according to some actually enabled more technological innovation and the user interface over time to make it more accessible so sometimes you get that when you have shadow it and now of course you know this little device that is the iphone has replaced so many other pieces of hardware that previously we would have had to have bought that would have all, you know, required virgin planetary resources to make them and they're now part of one device, which, you know, Apple from a product and brand stewardship perspective makes sure that it's part of the circular economy. So, I mean, it has all of these cascading effects. I don't know if Apple thought about that back in 07, 08, that maybe this device would replace so many others and have this huge environmental impact where they can, you know, get more productivity while also treading more lightly on, on the planet. What you're touching on there in, in, is around, we talk about value, but often we don't unpack it enough, I feel. And some of these changes essentially enable much larger changes. Trying to explain that a little bit better around things like simple stuff like connectivity, simple things like um, sensing technology, simple things like battery technologies. And as these things evolve, in isolation, um, they may not contain the wow factor or quite the value but when you overlay them and we're seeing this in our own industry where our devices are now 100% connected that's because that technology became available so therefore we invested in connecting our devices which didn't give us a return on investment immediately 
But when we track that forward and we understand how that then delivers value in a different way where we can start to understand humans better, how they're breathing better, and we can use that not just for their benefit in terms of, you know, people's benefit in terms of how, how they breathe, how they sleep. We can start to tailor the treatment so we use less energy. Um, and we can really personalize the experience, not just for a better outcome for the individual, but for a, a better outcome for the planet. Also a better outcome for them financially. They're not having to use that electricity and, and, and waste that energy, essentially. So these, these overlapping technologies that can have these shifts I think is so valuable. Like I said, when when they, when they connect, when they overlap, the intersections of these technologies really mm. deliver those sort of moments of of value that almost crept up on you. Mm. I love that iPhone example and what you're describing here because I feel at day one we may not know what the value will be, particularly at the moment with things changing so quickly. What that value may be in five or ten years time. And there used to be this this um, notion of the firm with the most data would win. But really, we don't know what that data is going to be with all these sensors and connectivity everywhere. I'm really interested to, to see what actually happens with these new technologies coming out now, being able to, uh, to unpick that data itself and then use intelligence to create better products on top of it. And I think that's exactly what Apple have done with the iPhone. And I think we've got the opportunity to do the same at Resmond. Yeah, mm. absolutely. I mean, I, I wear my smartwatch at night and I got a notification the other night. I don't know how this happened, um, but I got a little alert from, from Apple saying, hey, um, just something to be mindful of is that your heartbeats per minute dropped below 40 last night. It's down at 38. I'm like, I don't know that I was ever that relaxed uh, during my, my sleep last night in, in REM sleep or whenever it might have happened or you guys are the experts at this. But it was just like a little nudge and I'm like, okay, well, that's that's interesting. You know, what does that pair with? And, you know, that obviously wasn't when Lucian or Aurelian woke up because, you know, I would have spiked a little bit more. But it was just a little nudge that I'm kind of going, I'm quantifying my life, digitizing everything that I do. And, and it might be something that, you know, I'll have a conversation with my GP about at some stage, you know, when I'm looking at a holistic picture of, of, of health as these wearable technologies and the iPhone becomes a medical device it just opens up all these other doors and maybe that's back to your point around uh, necessity is the mother of invention maybe sometimes you know invention is the mother of necessity for other brands to start tapping into an ecosystem and contributing something that has a much bigger impact than what the initial you know innovation around an iPhone actually was. And I just, I, it reminds me of a, of a quote I heard, a quote, a comment I heard, which was, you know, big data, it all has one thing in common, and that's that it happened in the past. But what I love about it is it enables us to predict the future. And this is so applicable to healthcare, where we can capture that data, we can look at it and analyze it and use, you know, all these buzzwords, AI and ML, mm. but it really comes um, to, to kind of provide that value by predicting the future and going well you need to change this or we can set you off in a different direction because if you you know we can take the data and look at it and we can extrapolate it forward so using those predictive algorithms we can actually intervene earlier so that people don't have to wait until there's a problem mm. um, we, we can get in in front of that and to your point about you know the watch kind of just going hey just so that you know if you start connecting that data other data points it can start to go well if this continues then you might have a problem. So let's get in earlier. Mm. And that's absolutely what 
we're looking at at ResMed where we're using that data to think about how can we intervene earlier? How can we how can we get ahead of of that problem um, and intervene and, and use those predictive technologies in that way? It's truly leading to personalized medicine at yeah. the end of the day, right? Like if we think about medical treatment, even five, 10 years ago, they were kind of population solutions. You get one solution that works for the majority of the population. But for the first time, we're truly seeing personalized opportunities, which is mm. really, really exciting. Yeah. So I'm asking for a friend here in terms of predictive data and, and you know, all the rest. I'm lucky not to not to snore. Actually, the rest of my family is also very lucky that I don't, I don't tend to snore. But so I'm asking for a friend who says that when they consume copious amounts of beers and have junk food, that's when they snore and have a really bad night's sleep. Is there a is there data to back up uh, my friend's issues? I'm sure it's something our listeners are all I think my wife desperate back to die. back up that data. <laughs> I think there is, right? And I, I can't quote medical journals or the like, but certainly, um, you know, the relaxation of, the, you know, obstructive sleep apnea for the most part is physiological. It's to do with you know, the, the weight that, and the, you know, the, the muscles in the neck and the tongue and they relax and then they start to occlude the airway. So it's quite, it, it, it's this um, physical, you know, it, it, it's obstructive in that way. So certainly if you drink too much beer, you might, you know, your muscles might relax a little bit uh, more. They might be more prone to then collapsing the airway. So um, like it's, said, not, it's not something we advise on necessarily, but just... <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But one thing I do do, uh, sorry to talk about my sleep, uh, sleep patterns here, but um, um, I've been told by, by my wife that I do grind my teeth yeah. at night. And so uh, that gets a bit annoying and it's not great for my, for my dental health, uh, apparently. So when I was doom scrolling another day on Instagram, I saw that Botox is something that's now becoming very prevalent for, for men. Uh, in the in the Zoom generation, so it's known as Brotox, and then uh, that led to a discovery that you could also use Botox apparently to I don't know if it's relaxing your face to get better sleep so that you're not grinding your teeth. I'm just asking for yeah, a friend I've, here I've, again. Yeah, so for your friend, I've, I've heard that as well. I was talking to a friend of mine at work, Lemmy, who had been to the dentist. Exactly the same thing. Bruxism. That that action of grinding your teeth and quite damaging you'll crack your yeah, teeth right yeah um and yes i've heard yeah botox can help with that it's like 1600 bucks a pop okay um there you go but yeah so let your friend know that I, I think there's some truth in it but maybe talk to your friend's dentist yeah all under the you know moniker of un sustainable development goal <laughs> focused <laughs> on well-being here of course it's been a fascinating uh chat so far um with uh with both you jamie and and charles talking about product innovation talking about what you guys are doing from a not just a, a redesign or the, or the visuals and the and the sort of destigmatization of, of a medical device in your bedroom which is a very you know intimate personal space, but also just what you're doing in terms of process innovation here as well to to lighten the load using less fossil fuels in terms of you know supply chains and getting the devices out to to the world. Any any final thoughts uh, today or any final reflections that um, our listeners should be listening to or, or tuning into when when it comes to what ResMed's doing or uh, any things that excite you about the pipeline in the future? Yes, yeah, sure. I mean so much to it, it you know. So much in the future, which is exciting. And there are so many ways in which we can innovate to solve these problems, to not just design better products, but to address these challenges that we face around sustainability, around power consumption, and just, you know, thinking about it 
as broadly as we can and in as many different ways as we can. You know, it's not just about the product, it's about where you manufacture it, it's about where you ship it to, it's about the mode in which you move things around, it's about the technologies that might enable you to do things differently. And I think just constantly asking ourselves, you know, what are those technologies that may be in their infancy now and maybe those technologies don't actually make sense for us today but they might make sense in the future how do we design our processes how do we design our products to converge with the points in the future where a technology might actually open up an incredible opportunity from a product point of view from a sustainability point of view and, and how can we just continue to accelerate just innovation on on every front and think mm. about it in so many different ways i, I yeah. Main thing for me is it might seem like a bit of a scary future and um, a big problem for us to solve. But what energizes me is I've just seen so many people come into our organization just so excited about the potential and willing to dive into the challenge. And these are people who didn't create the problem themselves. They're just starting their career. And I think if we can harness that energy globally and be willing to disrupt ourselves, the potential is unbounded. Yeah. And there's a there's a quote uh, from the All Blacks actually written in the in the book that James Kerr wrote. Legacy, where you know, the, I think number fifteen was um, plant trees that you'll never see to be a good ancestor, and that really kind of stuck with me. Which was, we don't have to see the fruits of our labour in our lifetime, but in order to be a good ancestor, we have to plant those trees, and we may never see them. And I think it's it's quite a nice analogy there with the with the sustainability movement. Mm. And probably one of the reasons that ResMed's already spending 7% of your budget on research and development and technology. Thank you for being part of the second renaissance. I look forward to seeing even more results and, and even more tips on how to get a good night's sleep for the people who suffer from sleep apnea and for those who are lucky only to be grinding their teeth as well. So thank you for being on the show. Thanks for having us. Awesome. Thanks, Anders. Cool. For more information about the Second Renaissance and our work on sustainable innovation, please visit my website, www.andersumanilson.com. We would appreciate if you can take a moment to share the podcast with a friend or a colleague and help build the movement. We hope that what we learn together on the Second Renaissance can help us all build a sustainable future for ourselves and our children. See you in the near future.